Of all the awkward things there are to talk about here on the Isle of Misfits, I think we've picked a pretty good topic today. It's the sticky subject of money. That is, what to do when you don't see eye to eye with your significant other when it comes to the way you view and handle your finances. So I think that's all I'm going to say about that for now, because our special guest has the kind of wisdom that doesn't just come from an ivory tower, but from his own real, tried, and tested experience in the school of life. So keep listening. One of the things about life on our little Isle of Misfits, one of the great things is that there are never-ending topics to cover, and one of them is the topic of money. So maybe you're already tensing up at the very thought of that because when it comes to money, a lot of us feel like misfits, meaning, yeah, my financial situation's not quite fitting in with my hopes and dreams. And this can be especially true if you happen to be married. But fortunately for you, today we have a very special guest who's here to share from his wealth of wisdom, see what I did there, as the CEO of Crown Financial Ministries. And he's going to give us some straight talk about the way we view our money. His name is Chuck Bentley, and he and his wife Anne have written a book called Money Problems, Marriage Solutions, Seven Keys to Aligning Your Finances and Uniting Your Hearts. So welcome to the aisle, Chuck Bentley. Well, thank you, Nancy. I feel like I'm one of your square pegs, so I feel right at home. Oh, it always warms my heart to hear that, especially from people that are so wise and accomplished such as yourself. Um, it, it really does kind of congeal us all together that we are all in this thing together. Yes, we are. Thank you, Nancy. And I'm excited about uh, spending the time with you and having a conversation on the issues that I think will be very, very practical and helpful. Oh, this is, this is a big issue. You know, I, I'm sure we've all, if any, you know, the churchgoers among us have probably heard this once or twice or a hundred times um, in a sermon that uh, money is one of, if not the biggest topic preached about in the Bible. So can well, you confirm or deny this? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a, it's a major topic. It's covered uh, more than heaven and hell combined. Uh, it's one of the most frequent topics in all the parables that Jesus taught. I think about three-fourths of them cover some aspect of money and possessions. So it is a big issue. It's also one that you alluded to earlier that's painful for people. It's extremely personal and often very private. Uh, so it's, it's, I think it's healthy to have a conversation about those issues and especially to talk to those people who do feel like it's just not working for them. Right, right. And, you know, there's, yeah, there's so many important things to cover. And especially, like you said, it can be painful because it's so personal. So on that note, before we just jump in, we're going to get to know you a little bit because that's important. So I've prepared what we affectionately call around here a stupid game just for you if you're up for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm uncomfortable about it, Nancy, because <laughs> I don't know where you're going, <laughs> but I'm up for it. Oh, oh, you're such a good sport. And, you know, there's always the edit button when this is all said and done. So um, we'll see what ends up on the cutting room floor. So, okay, here we go. So, um, and here's the good news. The good news is, okay, this game is called This or That. And the good news is there are no right answers or wrong answers, unlike with money, as long as you can justify your response if you are called to do so. So does that make you feel better? It makes me feel a lot better. I like the disclaimer. Okay, there you go. All right, so first one. All right, and some of these are based on, you know, because you're a money guy. All right, 
Do you prefer to use cash or debit card? I'm definitely a cash person. Do not use my debit card at all. So is one yeah. better than the other? You know, I, I, I don't necessarily know because I don't use my debit card. Uh, okay, all right. The reason yeah, I don't you're just use smart, really. Card. That's the bottom line. Well, you're a smart man. So. <laughs> well, there's two things, Nancy. I, I don't. I, I'm not smarter than anybody else. But uh, you know, there's greater liability using a debit card because there's not a cap on what can be lost if you have your card stolen or that account number stolen. Uh, so we're just very, very protective of it. I tried to use it for the first time. This is really a true, true funny story on me. I, I was at Costco. I was at checkout line. I forgot that they only take American Express. And I don't have American Express, so they said, oops, and I didn't have cash on me. So uh, I, they said, uh, well, we'll take a debit card. So I pulled out my debit card, and it was denied. And I, I thought, oh, my goodness, how embarrassing this. I had to put my stuff back. <laughs> I was oh, and Please don't tell and, me there was a line of 10 people behind you because that would be me. Well, they were, and it was so embarrassing. You know, I teach this stuff. Well, you know what was wrong, Nancy, is my debit card was expired. I never oh. used it. It, it. it literally was, you know, it was no longer valid, so I could, couldn't use the thing. Oh, gosh. Wow. Well, you know what? I, I think, like you said, you're the one that teaches us, so, so you know. So I think God sometimes, no, I'm not saying God did that to you, but... Maybe he chuckled. I don't know. I mean, he it loves you. It was humbling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's you know, I can totally relate to that, and I'm not a money expert. So, um, all right. So moving right along. So you are from Tennessee. So I just have to ask you: Smoky Mountains or Dollywood? <laughs> no Dollywood. Smoky no Dollywood Mountains. for you. No Dollywood. No. Okay. So you're Smoky Mountains kind of guy. Are you do like do you and your wife like the you know the great outdoors? We like the great outdoors. We like hiking. We like fresh air. We like exercise. We don't like crowds. Uh, so, yeah, I can't get her to go to a theme park. I, I kind of like them. Mm -hmm. She's never liked them. She's, like, allergic to theme parks. Oh, yeah, I think you're describing my husband. So, yeah, he's my husband is the, the Anne of our relationship. <laughs> he's done it. And I'm not really an amusement park kind of person either. Once in a while it's fun. But I think it's the crowds. So, okay, I think I might know the answer to this question, but I'm going to qualify it this way. So I'm talking by nature, not by discipline or expertise. Are you a saver or a spender? I am the spender by nature. Uh, okay. I'm the big spender in our family. I'm the budget buster in our family. Uh, okay. Yeah, and that's why I qualified that because I just assume because you are, you know, you you have all of this wisdom, saving is the way to go. We know that, but um, but we all have different uh, wiring, don't we? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a struggle for me. Quite honestly, Nancy, I was, uh, I would say that I was the biggest problem in our relationship because I have a lot of uh, confidence. I have a lot of natural. Uh, affinity towards risk. It doesn't bother me. I don't have a lot of fear about the future. And so I can spend without much concern or worry. And uh, that had to be brought under control. That, that was a real issue in our relationship. Okay, yeah, and I think a lot of couples can relate to that. I think, is, isn't it funny how usually there aren't two savers or two spenders? It's one of each? It's, yeah, and I think there's some real uh, specific uh, good that comes out of that if you're married to a complete opposite. Ah, yes, balance, right? Iron sharpening iron or something like that. Yeah. 
Well, you know, a lot of times women get teased and, and they sort of get the, the brunt of the joke of, oh, they're the spender in the family and they're always shopping and they're, they're uh, you know, busting the budget with all the little things they want to go and buy. That characterization is usually false in the people I talk to. What I find is women are very careful about shopping and men are not very careful about it, and they tend to spend money on the big items, you know, if it's four-wheel drive, camouflaged, you know, all those kind of things, they're expensive, and we want them, you know, and so we, yes. we go for the big, the big purchases. Yes, I have heard the same thing, so I can verify that. So I'm glad to hear it's not a rumor. I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's been quantified sociologically, but I think, yeah, that rings true in my world. Good. So, yeah, although I think by nature I am a spender, but I, yeah, and I fit that. I fit that characterization, you know, I, I, I spend on little, quote, little things, but little things add up. So, all right, one more question for you, um, and this is regarding, so you've been married 21 years, and... I've been raised, married 30, I have been married 38 years, I was 21 oh. years when we were not aligned financially. Oh, okay. I see. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, you know what? That makes total sense. So 38 years you've been married. So that means, yeah, you've raised your children, you've given wisdom. So this question is in that context. So in your marriage with the children raising scenario, good cop or bad cop? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, I am the... I am probably the good cop. Okay. I, think, uh, <laughs> I can edit this part out if you like. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we don't need to answer that, but I, okay. I think I'm probably the good cop. Uh, I, I think I've, that may be uh, one that maybe maybe we're balanced on, on that. Got it. Yeah, I'm not sure which one I question. am either. I think I'm a situational cop, so. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, can I have that answer? B, uh, C, all the above. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, all right, well, thank you. You've done so well, so we're going to just <laughs> move right along. You've been a great sport. Um, but, I, yeah, let's talk about this book now. And I, I want to start out with the, um, in your intro, you had a quote. The quote is, it is impossible to prosper when there is war. You must seek peace first, then you will prosper. Tell us about that quote. Who said it and why? Well, we wrote the book because we had so much pain. Uh, many people have asked me in these interviews, well, why did you write this book? Well, it was pain, P-A-I-N, a lot mm-hmm. of pain. Mm-hmm. We suffered. And people, you know, they, they, they think because I'm a ministry leader and I have a lot of responsibility at what I do and I teach a lot of people that I haven't had these kind of problems. Well, the truth is I had most of the financial problems that other people experience, and we particularly had them in our marriage. And we couldn't come to, to peace and unity. It was very, very difficult for us to have conversations about our differences on money and really find uh, the, the, the solutions that we needed. And what I realized that it wasn't aggressive where I was being, uh, you know, real mean and angry and pushy, which, you know, I can be, but th- what was really happening is I was passively at war. I just didn't want to do things the way my wife thought we ought to do them. And I resisted that. And so there was this uh, subtle underlying division that mm-hmm. just remained. We were literally stuck. And I realized we weren't making financial progress because of that. And that's what opened our eyes to start doing things differently. And it began with 
Let's make peace with one another. We, we most people approach this financial problem is let's you know let's solve the financial problem. Let's let's work on the numbers. What we needed to work on was us. And when we mm-hmm. worked on us, our numbers got enormously better. Yeah, you know, and that is definitely a theme picking up in the book. You talk a lot about the heart. You talk about things like giving, about being grateful and okay, wait a minute, we're talking money. What does all that have to do with the bottom line, as they say? Well, two things, Nancy. First of all, you opened the program with talking about how much this is discussed in Scripture. Right. I'm, I, I am an expert on one thing, and that, what I'm an expert on is what the Bible says about money and possessions and finances. That's what I know, what the Bible says. And 80% of what the Bible says about money deals with what I call the soft issues, the attitudes, the motives, the, the belief system, the philosophies, the, uh, the things that deal with our heart. Those are the, those, that's the preponderance of the message in Scripture. It is not just the hard issues of you know, making the numbers work. Unfortunately, it's been sort of popularized that the Bible is just a guidebook on how to do money right or how to win mm-hmm. with money, and that's, that's diminishing its true value. It, it really sets us on course to have a right relationship with God and to have a right relationship with money. Uh, and then when that relationship is correct, money starts to work really well we, when we do it God's way. And the same thing applies in marriage. Marriage is the greatest financial benefit you could ever want. It's, it's proven statistically in all the research that it is by far the superior economic benefit of any other living arrangement, and yet couples struggle the most and have the most pain in this very same area. Isn't that the truth? You know, it's, it's almost like a double-edged sword. The very thing that's, that's meant to bring glory can sometimes be the thing that, that exposes a lot of pain. Absolutely. That's the great paradox. Yes. So, so you and your wife went through this process. Like you, I love that phrase that you use. You were passively at war. You know, when we think of war, we think of, you know, guns blaring and I'm on my side and you're, you know, and and it's bloody, it's a battle, everybody's aggressive. But that passive war can be just as dangerous, but not as easy to recognize. How did you recognize that you were passively at war? I think because we just couldn't make progress. It was like a, like one of those trigger points in our relationship where, when the topic came up, you know, all the, the emotion and all the pain and all the, the struggling seemed to, to immediately block our ability to have uh, con- the conversation, to have even the, the good dialogue that we needed to have. I knew where she stood, she knew where I stood, and the two weren't crossing. We, were, we couldn't get aligned. And, and what it boiled down to is I came to the realization that I was prideful, I was stubborn, and I, I was devoid of humility. I really didn't want to hear an opinion different than my own. I wanted to be right. And it's, it's embarrassing to admit that that ultimately was what had to change before our marriage improved, and that subsequently changed our finances dramatically. Hmm. Well, i got to tell you, I don't know anybody who just wants to be right. <laughs> Wait a minute. Actually, I think most of us just want to be right, right? I mean, that's, that is probably one of the common themes 
strains in, in all of humanity, and, and it is our pride. But what I'm hearing from you is you saw the lack of progress, but you took it a step further. Because like, well, it's not working. Don't know why. Um, but you were introspective. And it led you to a place of confronting, like you said, some, some pride, some stubbornness, and it brought you to a place of humility. So that, that kind of brings me to really the, the first key in your book. You have these seven keys, all begin with the letter P, um, about you know, how, how we can start to win, to win this war. And the first one is about being a peacemaker. So, so tell us, how do we become a peacemaker? Well, first of all, I, I want to say, Nancy, that I love my wife from the first time I met her, and I still do today, and, and we're deeply in love, and I was committed to making our marriage and relationship and our finances work. Uh, I don't want it to sound as if we were uh, ever ready to give up on each other. We wanted this thing to work, but we were really struggling to find the, the, the ways to make it work. And this is not a topic where there was... Uh, easy access to solutions or, or help or counsel. Uh, you know, you don't hear it very often talked about in, in church in the context of, you know, how do you do this right as a husband and wife? So we realized that we had to make peace. And I think a lot of people pray for peace in their marriage, but I don't think they see peacemaking as a verb where it mm. means get up off the couch and do something. <laughs> you know, right, we think it's it a peaceful, fine. you know, I got a peaceful, easy feeling. <laughs> we think it's a, it's a feeling. Yeah, I want, this, I want this peace to kind of mysteriously hover over my home and make everything feel good. Right, and right. The Bible says we're to be peacemakers, and that, that came alive to us uh, because it means we have to go and do something about it and take action. Uh, and so we realized that if one of us was the peacemaker, our marriage would survive. But if both of us would become peacemakers, our marriage would thrive. And so yes, we I, developed yeah, I, through... I just, I just wanted to underscore that because I actually wrote that down. Yeah, if it's one, you survive. If it's two, you thrive. That's wonderful. It's a wonderful word picture. It, it's interesting how we get into these standoffs in our, when we get our feelings hurt. All division starts with having our feelings hurt, getting offended. And that's why the Bible talks about not being easily offended, uh, to not be quick to anger. Or, uh, all those, all those admonitions, are so that you don't get divided, and, and we let them build up, and we and we get these walls between us. So we both committed we would be peacemakers, and we set up some parameters. We don't go to bed if we're angry. We we literally don't let the sun go down on our anger. We have a process to reconcile on those issues. We we use that little mantra that the first to apologize is the bravest, the first to forgive is the strongest, and the first to forget is the happiest. And mm. when, we, when we were working on the book together, we got in a little, a little disagreement over something. I mean, I was in the kitchen, and I think I said something I didn't like about the, mess, the menu or the recipe. I don't know. I was rude. And so I go back to writing, and we had been working on this chapter, and all of a sudden Ann comes into my office and says, okay. I want to apologize, and we burst out laughing because she was trying to beat me to the punch. There needed to be an <laughs> apology, and I said, okay, you're just living out the book, right? And she goes, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I want to be sure I'm doing this. And so we make peace, and, and when there's this, when, when you realize you're both on the same team, 
you both have the same goal, and you both want to win. You're not trying to hurt each other. And that peace can then allow you to have the, the conversations that you need to have. So we made that our first step, that you have to make peace with one another. Right. It's foundational. It goes back to that quote that we talked about at first, that you know, if you're at war, you can't prosper. Cannot prosper. There's no country on the face of the earth that's prospering when they're under siege. You know, the it's it's just destruction. It's just, everything is going the wrong direction, and that's really what Satan wants. He wants to either get you subtly divided and where you can't talk about it and you're not willing to fix it. He wants to get you frustrated. He wants to get you discouraged. He just doesn't want you to thrive, and right. because you know, marriages, strong marriages are the nucleus. Of, uh, of a strong church, and a strong church is the nucleus of a strong country. So he's going to just use hurt feelings and taking offense with one another to neutralize the incredible potential for that couple to, to thrive. And that's what he's looking for. He wins. We, when we take, take up offense against each other, he is winning the battle. Mm-hmm. And, and these are among people, we're talking about people who, Love each other. Let's not forget this because I, I think this is very important to underscore this. You know, we're talking about war, but as you said, you love your wife. You've been married for 38 years. And so I think sometimes we, when we think of, you know, well, I love my spouse. I, you know, we love each other. We equate, well, if we love each other, that means we can't disagree or it's too painful to bring these things up. And that might sound like a very simplistic way to look at it, but I, I think in some ways we, we don't want to go there because we don't want to touch on that hot button. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that we, we sometimes just sort of go along with the inertia of our relationship, and we don't do the maintenance, we don't do the, the fixing. So Anna and I would tell you we've always deeply loved each other and been deeply committed, but, man, there have been days, sometimes weeks and months, that we didn't like each other. Mm. Uh, and that was, that was not healthy. Uh, we both felt injured and, and wounded by each other uh, over these uh, disagreements and the discord. This was, it's interesting, this was the area of our relationship that caused it. it so, you know, it's different issues for different couples, but finances, that was the big one for us. And I think it's one of the reasons that we're so compassionate towards people that have these issues, these problems where, you know, this is a guilt-free book. You shouldn't feel guilty if you've had these struggles. Uh, it's, I think it's common, and it's common to keep them to ourselves. Right, right, and I think there's something that happens. We become free when we step out from those shadows, like you said, of, of guilt or shame or I'm the only one that's going through this or, you know, what, whatever it is we tell ourselves that keeps us inside of that little cave of shame. Oh, right, Nancy. So, yeah, and I, I just love the transparency that, that I'm hearing from you and, and just the example that you're setting, not just, well, yeah, we have it all together. Well, that's good, yes. You know what? You're an expert for a reason. You've studied, you've, you know, you've shown yourself approved in these things, but you've also lived out a lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the difficulties in arriving to these conclusions, and I think that's what people really resonate with. They want to know, okay, Yes, there's a way to do this, but can someone even like me, even in you know my situation, can this work for me? Yeah, I, I think you know my wife's greatest fear was that we would uh, position ourselves as 
a, a poster-worthy example of how this is to be done. She wanted disclaimers from beginning to end that we're a work in progress and we work at this, and it requires you know, work and maintenance and diligence. Uh, but I wanted to mention, too, that oftentimes we're most hurt by the people we most love mm -hmm. because love, love requires vulnerability. It requires transparency and risk. And that's the risk that God took when he created man, that, that we, would we love him back? And when you commit to love someone, you're at risk. You're completely vulnerable. And right. that's why it hurts, and that's why it is easy to sort of tip and escalate into something that's really painful and nasty and, and ugly because we, we don't want, we, you know, we don't expect that from someone we're so close to. But it, it happens, and I think it happens in a way that Satan wants it to happen. He says, okay, you know, you're going to be totally committed, totally vulnerable, totally transparent with one another. Nothing can be hidden, right, in a marriage. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so because of that, I'm going to use it against you. Oh, mm -hmm. now you know my weak spots, and then let's, you know, let's, let's pick on those weak spots or, or let's leverage them to do more damage. Oh, yes, and I, I think one of the great tools that's used on, you know, by, by the enemy of our souls is getting us to focus, as you said, you know, on the ugly, on the mess, on the pain. And, you know, those things might be true. There might be some ugly in the midst of it, but there's, there's something better at the end. Even Jesus on the cross, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And, you know, not that we're comparing any of what we go through to that, but I think there's a precedent there that, you know, even the, the hard things that we go through, facing pain and disagreement and, and just maybe a little bit of ugliness, there's a purpose for it that transcends that moment. There's, there's, a, there's a greater reward so to speak, and and Satan tries to keep our minds off of that. Oh, absolutely. We 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 believe that even with our desire to help other couples in this area, it's because of the pain that we suffered that we understand, and we we are empathetic and compassionate with other couples. I was also going to mention that love does not keep record of wrong, mm -hmm. and that's one of the ways to destroy peace in your marriage is if you kind of keep this loaded gun in your, you know, your hidden hip pocket of, all right, if you cross the line, I'm going to pull out your list of wrongs and fire them right back at you and just hit you right in the heart with all the things you've been doing wrong. And I think that's why the scripture says, you know, don't live that way. Don't, if you really love somebody, have that sort of whiteboard that gets erased daily. There are no records of wrongs and you, you, you make peace that way. So, okay, we made a mistake, let's get back on the horse here and ride again, and we're not going to bring up why we got into the mess we're in right now. We're going to wipe that slate clean every day. Right, and isn't it true? I mean, we all want that, right? It's, it's just intuitive. No one needs to tell us we want grace, we want mercy, um, and yet sometimes it's, it's hard to remember, oh, yeah, I need to give that as well. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, as someone once told me, we've received millions and millions, maybe billions of dollars worth of mercy and forgiveness, and then we don't want to dish out a dollar's worth or ten dollars worth to somebody else. Oh yes, you know, yes, we, get, we are grace hoarders, right? <laughs> yes, we are, but we need to be grace spenders. So yeah, so and you know there is good news. And so speaking of, I, I want to get to um, there was a term that you had, I think, in in your second key. I love this term, and maybe we can kind of sort of land here. Inverse prosperity. What did you mean by that? 
Well, I call it the law of inverse prosperity because there's a lot of extreme teaching around this topic of finances from the biblical point of view that the goal is to uh, prosper uh, according to the world standards. And if you adopt that goal, if you believe that, what I consider an, an extreme lie and an error, then you're going to be aiming at the wrong target. And so I went through Jeremiah 29 where the Lord said, you know, I have a plan for you. And the plan is that uh, you will, I will prosper you, not harm you. I'll give you hope and a future. And we say, okay, great, Lord, what is the plan? Well, he said the plan is to uh, build a house and settle down, plant a garden and eat from your own garden, marry have sons and daughters, a God of equality. He likes boys and girls. Mm -hmm. Help them to get married. Then he said, go into the marketplace and seek the peace and prosperity of the city where I've called you. And if you will do that, if they prosper, you too will prosper. So our attitude is to help others prosper, to be useful, to be an assistant, a servant to the benefit of other people. And when we add that value to their lives, it comes back to value in our lives. Every great business, every great service, every great uh, tool that does well has a useful purpose that, that is meaningful to other people. If it's not, it has no real lasting value. You can't build a business around it. And so the Lord wants our hearts to be outward and when, when it comes to prosperity. You take the risk that you will commit to helping others to prosper, and it will come back to you in a form of prosperity. It also makes it very clear that prosperity is, in the, is found in, uh, in a marriage relationship. Marriage is not, the, uh, uh, is not a, a negative towards prosperity. It's an enhancer of that. And there's prosperity inside a family unit. Or he wouldn't have told us, get married, have sons and daughters, you know, multiply. He said, increase, do not decrease. And that is so powerful, this whole idea. I mean, where have we heard this before? Oh, the idea of sowing and reaping. You know, we reap what we sow. And just this idea of if they prosper, you prosper focusing on others, you know, and not just, well, I'm going to focus on you. No, I'm focusing on your well-being. I'm focusing on blessing your life and yeah. having that return to us. So, I mean, again, that's it's so powerful. It's something that we may say, yeah, I know that, but do I really know that? If I really knew that and I really believed it, wouldn't I be, wouldn't I be practicing that more? Yeah, I think so. And it's, it's, it's a liberating philosophy because you can go to work or you can run your business. You can uh, do what God's called you to do with the attitude. And I'm not here for greedy, selfish gain. You know, that's one of the things the culture is so sick of right now is, mm. is greediness and coveting and, mm -hmm. and selfishness. And we want to see uh, other people prosper. We want to see the the marginalized and the, and the poor and the, those who have been uh, experienced injustice. We want to see them do well. And God says, well, great, go out there and, and, and bring it. You know, you go be that instrument on my behalf. Yes, and, you know, I think sometimes in culture, not always, but we get this duality, this, this contradiction really in messages. In some senses, we do hear the culture say, you know, pay it forward, and, and, and that makes people feel good. But on the other hand, a really blaring message is, is sort of this idea of the zero-sum game, right? So if somebody else prospers, that means I lose. And, and we kind of buy into that, even if it's unconsciously. 
Well, it's, yeah, that, that's just a really bad economic philosophy that if somebody else prospers, I lose. Uh, there's a, there's a, I, I travel a lot, Nancy, and there's a proverb in Africa that says if you put one crab in the, in the pot, it will escape. But if you put three crabs in the pot, none of them will escape. They will, they will pull each other down. And there's this idea, sort of the inverse of what I just shared, that you don't want other people to get ahead of you. Uh, but from God's economic standpoint, he's saying, actually, it's the other way around. You help others escape their circumstances, their challenges, and they'll turn around and help you. They, that, that's how you will be blessed by being a servant and, and an ambassador of goodwill for other people. So we're called to be a blessing. Isn't that amazing that Jesus knew that, that, we're, you know, that when we seek to save our lives, and that's the focus of our life is all about me, we lose. Yeah. And yet when we, when we put him first, when we lose our lives in him, is when we find our lives. So, oh, there's so much more that I would love to talk with you about. We uh, only began to cover two of your seven Ps. There's five more. There's lots of wonderful wisdom stories about your your life and your marriage, uh, practical things at the end. We have exercises. Um, so really great, um, tangible stuff that people can be just going through. And even in the, uh, I saw at the end that there's, there's a vow that you can take with your spouse. So... Um, Tell me and tell us, as you know, as those who are listening along today, where's a good place to start with all of this? A good place to start, Nancy, is to go to your spouse and say, I would like to do our finances differently. I'd like to do them together. I'd like to get totally aligned with you so that we can uh, make financial progress. The numbers are really, really bad right now. They're, they're depressing. 69% of working Americans do not have $1,000 in cash saved. Uh, 80, recently, it's actually 78% by a bank rate survey said that 78% of working, uh, uh, the workforce are living paycheck to paycheck. That's, that's an unprecedented number in, in American history. We are truly at a crisis stage of people living on the financial edge. We have lots of money, we have good incomes, but we have no margin. We're living on, on the edge. Mm. And I think if couples can say, and, and, and obviously the book can help those who aren't married or who are considering marriage, but I wrote it specifically to couples to, to be able to say, let's just start and do this right. And uh, my attitude is I want to be totally aligned with you so that we listen to each other, we accept each other, we, we may be opposite, we may be crazily different, we, you, know, you may be the round hole and I'm the square peg, but we can figure out a way that by God's grace and his wisdom that we can do this together. And that was the big aha for me, Nancy, is that God made me a complete opposite of my wife because we needed each other. We absolutely right. needed to be opposites, or we, I would just, you know, I'd be crazy if, if uh, I didn't have Anne. And I had to come to the point of accepting her. Uh, I think we all have this hidden sign hanging on our heart, this invisible sign that says, do you value me? Mm-hmm. When we meet a stranger or when we go into right. a new place, or we want to know, do you value me? And that especially grows even, I think, in marriage. Well, we have to say, yes, I do. I value your opinion. I value your wisdom. I value your personality. I value 
our differences because I need to learn from you. You, you complete me. Uh, I call it the 360-degree marriage where we may see the world 180 degrees different, but if we'll lock arms and we'll be covering each other's back and we'll, mm. we, we, we'll, we'll fight off the enemy together, that's the starting place. That's a great starting place. And really, if that was to sum everything that you just set up in a word, it's, it's humility. We start with humility just as you started with that introspection, that humility, and just it all begins with our relationship with the most important relationship that we have is our relationship with our creator who is more than interested in helping us in all of the other relationships in our lives, including marriage, including our relationship with money. So, uh, Chuck, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for being such a good sport. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Well, Nancy, I want to thank you for what you're doing. I think it's creative. You're, you're an innovator. You're, you're excellent at communicating and taking an interest in the topics that will help those who you are serving. And I do pray that uh, your work will prosper, that you will continue to grow your uh, through podcasting and blogging, the, the message that you want to get out there and that those you're serving will, will be clapping and cheering you on and, and all those uh, square pegs will gather together and be, uh, be blessed by your work. So thank you, Nancy. Wow. Well, I, I'm blown away by that. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm verklempt, so I don't know if that fits in with <laughs> communication, but God bless you, and it's been a pleasure, and you are welcome back on the aisle anytime. I'll, I'll look forward to coming back to the Isle of Misfits, Nancy. Thank you so much for inviting me. Wow, I really am speechless. Thanks to Chuck Bentley for the kind words and the invaluable wisdom. Now, the book is called Money Problems, Marriage Solutions, and it's available at christianbooks.com or wherever you find your reading material. You can also access a literal ton of resources, at least 2,000 pounds, I'm sure, to help you manage your finances and thrive in your career at crown.org. Thank you for joining us today. And if you would like to hear more insightful interviews like this or just plain old square peg fun, you can visit me at the isleofmisfits.com. That's I-S-L-E of misfits.com. Would love to hear what you think. And until next time, own your awkward and love your fellow misfit. <laughs>